The, the story we're going to look at this morning is actually found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And uh, I'll begin, I'll read this story to, for you. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and was highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone to be cured of his leprosy? See, he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and they said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that, like at the skin of a young boy. So um, Naaman was uh, the commander of the army of Aram, which we know as Syria. And um, Aram and Israel were often at war. But this happened to be a time of peace. And Naaman was, uh, everyone knew him. He was a famous general. He was a military leader. The Israelites knew him because, unfortunately, he had inflicted a lot of harm on them. Um, uh, Jesus even mentions Naaman in the sermon in the New Testament. But, but during this time, there was, it was a time of, of peace. And, um, you know, in, in the Old Testament, they weren't as medically advanced as we are. And so it says that um, Naaman had leprosy. Well, in the Old Testament, they used that word leprosy to cover a, a large array of, of skin diseases. So when we think of leprosy, we think, you know, of that horrible disease and people have to be uh, banished and isolated because it's so contagious. Um, apparently, Naaman did not have that kind of leprosy because he wasn't banished. He was still working, you know, as the leader of the army. He was still going and seeing the king. 
And if he had had the worst kind of leprosy, he would not have been allowed to do that. So he has some kind of skin disease. And, um, you know, even, uh, you know, even in the book of Leviticus, um, it calls mold on the side of a house leprosy. So they used that word to cover a variety of different kinds of diseases and things. Um, so, so he had some kind of skin disease. So imagine here he is, this national hero, but people kind of looked at him a little funny because of this disease that he had. And when he would meet people, you know, he would hold out his hand to shake their hand and he would notice they weren't quite sure if they wanted to touch his hand or not. They would kind of, you know, look at him. He could see it in their eyes. And the scabs and the sores on his skin made others want to avoid him. They worried if it was contagious. And in those days, most people thought that when you got sick, it was punishment on you from God because of some sin you'd committed. And so if he has this obvious, you know, visible skin disease, you know, people are wondering, what in the world did Naaman do to get that? You know, what kind of sin did he commit? What, what in the world must he have done? And so um, he was tired of both the pain and the social stigma that they came from this. Now, during this time, they were at peace, but Syria's army was stronger than Israel's. And so from time to time, they would just go into Israel. They would just raid Israel and go into villages and take what they wanted. They often took young men and young women and brought them back to serve as slaves. And so there was a young girl who had been taken in a raid from Israel who served as the servant of Naaman's wife. And one day she said to Naaman's wife, it's a shame Naaman doesn't go to this prophet I've heard of in Samaria because he would heal Naaman. Now that's an absolutely preposterous uh, suggestion. I mean, the king had already sent Naaman to the best physicians in the land. Uh, they had tried everything there was to, to do, all the, all the you know, medical science, and they had used everything they knew, and they could do nothing for him. So why would you risk your reputation on the word of some adolescent servant girl? But when you run out of respectable doctors when you've tried everything there is to try, you've taken every pill there is to take, and nothing works, and you get desperate. And you hear about this clinic down in Mexico where uh, they have this plant that's supposed to cure exactly what you have, and you're willing to give it a shot. You get desperate, and no matter how far-fetched it sounds, you're willing to take a chance even if that far-fetched chance is a holy man in Israel. And so Naaman loaded up a few camels with 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now, that's a lot. So I mean, you can tell Naaman's rich. And it's a good thing he's rich because he's got to go out of network for health care. So uh, he asked the king for permission to go to Israel and seek a cure. And the king said, well, sure, I'll help you out. I'll write you a letter so that will go to the king of Israel. So um, we'll cut through all the red tape because he just assumed, you know, I'm the king. I'll write the king a letter, and they'll take care of you because that's how you get things done. You know, we're the ones that have all the power. We're the ones that, that make things happen. 
This is how you get things done because that's how kings think, that the power belongs to them. And so um, the Syrian king wrote this letter, gave it to Naaman, and he took it to the king of Israel, um, who at that time was Jehoram. And so when Jehoram got the letter, though, he was upset because he looked at the letter and he thought, uh, he said, well, am I God that I can heal somebody who has leprosy? Uh, the, the, he, he thought that the king of, of Syria had sent this guy over and asked him to heal him. And of course, he wouldn't be able to do that. And so then um, he would be able to say that, you know, he had tried to get him to do something and he wouldn't help him. And so that would be grounds for war. And they were stronger than Israel. And so he was, he was worried. You know, why has this guy done this to me? Why is he trying to start trouble? And he, he has, he, he's all upset about all of this. And um, it, here's the irony because Naaman, this man of power and wealth, had a disease that no power could do anything about. And he turned to the, the structures of his day, the power structures of his day, the two kings who, who, who had all the power, but they were also helpless. And so his healing doesn't end up coming through the power and the might of the empire, the power structures of his time but through a teenage girl and a reclusive old prophet. Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, writes, healing power surges in surprising, uncredentialed ways. So uh, somehow Elisha heard that the king was having a meltdown, and so he sent word and said, send the man to me. And we'll, we'll show him that there is a prophet left in Israel. And you can imagine the scene. Naaman showed up with his entire entourage. It said there were horses and chariots and camels. And I mean, this whole big entourage showed up at Elisha's house. And Naaman was thinking, this is going to be pretty cool because he's going to come out. He's probably going to be dressed in all these robes and maybe even wear a miter. And he'll come out and maybe have some incense. And they'll, you know, he'll probably walk around and, and chant and do some prayers. There may be music. It's going to be really cool. However he does this, you know, he may rub something on my skin. And, but it's going to be really cool and, and then I'm going to be healed. And, and this is going to be some really neat event, man. He was excited. And so he got there with his whole entourage in front of Elijah's house, Elisha's house. And Elisha sent his servant out and he said, go down to the Jordan and wash seven times and you'll be healed. And he went back in. <laughs> and Naaman was insulted. I mean, Naaman was used to meeting kings and dignitaries. And this old prophet wouldn't even come out and say hello. He sent his servant out. I mean, that was just an insult. And Naaman's thinking, I came, I came all the way for this. This is a pretty shabby welcome. He can't even come out and say hello. And so Naaman was insulted. And he almost let his pride prevent his healing. Because he stormed off saying, you know, there was plenty of water in Syria. He didn't know where he had to get in this muddy river. It would make any difference. And um, some of you uh, have been to Israel and you've been immersed in the Jordan River and it was a wonderful experience for you. But, but Naaman wasn't interested. And he didn't want any part of it. But his servants seemed to know him well and they knew he was more insulted than angry. And so they said, 
boss, if he would have asked you to do something difficult, you would have done it. But now he's asked you to just do this simple little thing. I mean, why not try it? We're already here, but what, what difference is it going to make? So Naaman thought, well, you know, we've, we've come this far. And his royal connections had gotten him nowhere. His reputation had gotten him nowhere. His bags full of money had gotten him nowhere. And so as embarrassed as he was, he stripped down and he picked his way across the rocks out into the water. He was about waist deep in the Jordan. And so he ducked himself under the water, smelled like fish. He came back up, and he did it seven times. And the seventh time he came up out of the water, he was completely healed. The leprosy was gone, and his skin hadn't looked like that since he was a young boy. Now, the Scripture that we read this morning, this, that's where we, it ended, and this is the story. And it's a, it's a wonderful story about a man who gets healed and about you know, how God's power works through this prophet. But I, I think there's more to the story than that. If you read the rest of the chapter, it, it, it gives you a whole different understanding of what happened. And I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter to you because I'm not LeVar Burton. But I will tell you the rest of the story um, about what happened. So Naaman, when he comes up out of the, the, the Jordan, he is completely healed. And this changed Naaman's life. Naaman wasn't just healed. Naaman now wanted to be a follower of God. His life was changed. So this isn't just a physical healing story. Naaman, Naaman is saved. He, he wants to follow the God of Israel. His whole life has been changed. And so he wants to go back and tell Elisha. And so they go back to Elisha's house. And he tells Elisha what happened and that he wants to follow the God of Israel and his, his life is going to be different from here on out. And then he tried to pay Elisha, but Elisha wouldn't take any, anything. He said, your money's no good here. Apparently, even back then, health care in Israel was free. So after this brief discussion, Naaman left. Well, Elisha's servant, his name is Gehazi, which actually means greedy. Well, Gehazi was a little upset that Elisha didn't take anything. So he followed Naaman. And when he caught up with him, Naaman said, what's going on? And Ghazi said, um, my, servant, my master changed his mind. He decided he would take a copay on that. And um, so he gave Ghazi some silver and clothes and a bunch of other stuff. And so he took it back home and hid it. But somehow Elisha found out. And Elisha called him in and they had a come to Yahweh meeting. And he fired him. And when Gehazi walked out the door, as soon as he looked down, he saw that he had leprosy. So in my opinion, this is a story about more than being healed. It's a story about faith. And it's about conversion. Naaman had a hard time believing in grace. He thought, surely there is more to it than this. I mean, surely there's something I've got to do. He couldn't believe it was that simple. And it almost, his pride almost got in the way. And that's a lot like us. 
Because we have a hard time believing grace is that simple. That God will just forgive us. That, you know, once, once we become followers of God, then God asks us, you know, for, God asks us to accept what, he, what God says and to believe and to obey. But grace is just a gift that's given when we're willing to receive it. And so in the end, it's a story about a believing outsider and an exploitive insider. And the outsider with leprosy is healed, and the insider who uses his position for gain ends up with leprosy. And, and so the story says something that's really important to us about how we trust sometimes in the wrong power to give us the things of God. And I thought that that, that story has something important to say to us right now, especially this time of the year, uh, you know, during, during midterm elections. Because it's important to vote, and it's important uh, for us to be involved in, in the process, because the people we elect, you know, they determine, um, you know, who, what are the bills that get passed, the laws that get passed or don't get passed. You know, they lead us and determine the kind of things we do as a culture. And so it's incredibly important. But the kingdom of God will not come through the political process. It will come the same way God has intended for it to come for a few millennial, through the church. And I think sometimes some Christians have lost sight and they think that they can accomplish God's will by voting because that's easier than loving people around us. But that's the what God has chosen. And I have it on good word that God has not yet affiliated with any political party. God has not endorsed any candidates, although some of them think he has. <laughs> God is not going to bring the kingdom of God through politics. He is going to bring it through you and I loving the people around us. There is no easy out. And I just want to make sure we remember that because there's a lot of confusing voices out there that tell us something different. But the world will be changed ultimately not through political process, but through the life of a Jewish carpenter who hung split-lipped and cross-eyed in pain and loved the world and still does. That's how it changes. And it's just like in this story. You see, the kings and all their royalty and power and Naaman and all his military power found themselves to be helpless in the midst of this, this situation, you know, this matter of life and death. And in the end, it's a slave girl, a crusty old prophet, and a humble soldier standing naked in a river that are our symbols of faith and of conversion. So may we be humble enough to see where God is at work and be willing to do even the little things that God may ask us to do. Amen.